Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. We read these words. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The Western world has been overwhelmed by a worldview that excludes God. We were considering some of that in the adult Sunday school class this morning. There are several results as a consequence of that. Because there's no, no creator, people say, we're answerable to no one. Because there is no such thing as sin, then there is no judgment. So we are free to decide how we want to live. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And you have a, a reference to that even in chapter 3 here. In verse 3, there are scoffers who will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, their own desires. It is sad when we look around us and see that so many believe the Bible is passé, outmoded, outdated. They tell us we're behind the times, we're like dinosaurs, we really are extinct to all intents and purposes. But to say there's nothing new in that attitude, we see it again here. There are these false teachers, there are these false prophets who are troubling the saints to whom Peter is writing and they are saying, in effect, oh, come on, come on, you Christians, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. There it is in verse 4. They are scoffers. They are skeptics. They are, in effect, unbelievers. And Peter says of them, that they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Did people believe in the flood when Noah preached to them? Do people believe that there is a coming day of judgment? when Jesus Christ will come with all his holy angels and judge this world and separate the sheep from the goats and take the sheep into heaven and cast the goats away to condemnation and hell. Say so there is nothing new. Peter is alert to these scoffers and warns his readers. And he does it in three ways ways in this text that we want to look at this evening 
And what he essentially is doing is showing them and persuading them to live a very different kind of life to those who are the scoffers. The essence of it is there in verse 11. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons, what kind of people ought you to be? Must you be? That's the force of it. Not simply ought, but you must be in holy conduct and godliness. And in order to spur them on, he gives them these incentives. You know what spurs are, don't you? If you know anything about horses, a rider has spurs. They're usually little uh, circular things with spikes on them. Not that they break the skin, but spikes on them. To, and the, the rider will use his stirrups and the spur in order to spur and urge the horse on. And that's what Paul, uh, sorry, what Peter is doing here. He's spurring them on to live a holy life. And say there are three ways in which he does it. First of all, he says, rest assured that the day of God will come. Or the day of the Lord will come. It's mentioned both ways, verse 10 and verse 12. There is a day of judgment. God will act and intervene and judge the world. What you now see, now experience on this earth, will be radically changed. The scoffers say, ha, we don't believe that. Where's the evidence? But they misread this apparent delay. The day of the Lord will come. It may be delayed, but God delays it, not because he's forgotten his promise or is unable to fulfill his promise. He's done it quite deliberately. We find that in verse 9. Because he is patient. He is long-suffering. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance that echoes what we found in Ezekiel mentioned this morning but the day will come and it will come like a thief in the night totally unexpected Peter picks up the warning that Christ gave in Matthew chapter 24 he says be ready for when the son of man comes He's coming at an hour you do not expect. He goes on to tell uh, the disciples and anyone else who's listening to him, look, when the day of the Lord comes, what will people be doing? They'll be carrying on as normal. They'll be buying, selling, they'll be marrying, giving in marriage, they'll be building. They'll be doing what they do every other day. And then suddenly that day will come and people will be taken completely by surprise because they are not ready People feel secure. They don't think there is a day coming. They can live as they please and conduct their lives as they please. When Paul confronted the skeptics in Athens, in Acts chapter 17, he told them, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through the man whom he has appointed. The man he has ordained. And he's given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. 
He's speaking of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and will be raised, has been raised from the dead. He is the appointed judge of the world, and he will come on the day of judgment. When that day comes, notice what we are told in verse 10. It will be a day of cosmic destruction and disintegration. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will be melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The heavens will pass away with a great roar. That word is used of the rumbling of thunder, the rushing of a waterfall, powerful. And it says the heaven will pass away with a great noise, a great roar. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The sun, the moon and the stars will be affected. And the earth and all its works, all the works that men have done, all the things that are on the earth, they will be burned up. The earth is going to be laid bare. Everything is going to be destroyed. It's a day of the Lord. It's a day of judgment. Now, we haven't time to go through the Old Testament. But if you go through some of the prophets like Isaiah, you'll find references. And then there's other language that is used that is called apocalyptic language. Language that speaks as it is here this the heavens passing away the elements melting the earth being burnt up it's a graphic picture that describes the last day the day of the lord you find similar speech an apocalyptic language in the book of revelation and our lord jesus christ he spoke very plainly about these things it's a dramatic picture, but that day will most certainly come. A day of dissolution, as it's described there in verse 11. All these things will be dissolved. And then it's repeated again in verse 12. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. When something's repeated in Scripture, it's for emphasis. To drive home what is being said. Now, this is something then. That Peter believed, Peter taught and preached. It's something that Christ himself taught. It's something that the Old Testament prophets taught. It's biblical truth. It's the word of God which is to be believed rather than the lies of the scoffers who call it into question. And we have our own 20th century scoffers and scorners and unbelievers now to believe to believe that this day of the Lord is coming will profoundly affect the way in which you live that is the point which he is coming you see if you begin to doubt that there is a day of judgment well then you'll be saying well it's not maybe that important it doesn't compel me doesn't it give me any incentive I, I, I don't really believe it so I don't have to take it into account do I Peter is saying if you are a Christian 
you must be firmly persuaded the day of the Lord will come. And if that is the case, then it is going to profoundly affect how you live your life on this earth. So, we come to verse 11. Therefore, here's the here is the conclusion, what you, the conclusion that you draw from the certainty of the coming of this day. Here is a compelling motive for you to live a distinctive life of holiness. What manner of persons ought you, must you be, in holy conduct and godliness? That's in complete contrast to the scoffer. The scoffer walks according to his own lusts. No motivation to change their pattern of life, their behaviour. Why would they? But that has tragic consequences. Let me think for a moment with you. Realise that there is a price to pay if you do not believe in the coming day of the Lord. We saw this morning in Ezekiel the great danger of not believing in the word and the consequences. Misery, unhappiness. Some people in this day and age, you may know some of these, throw themselves into a sort of hedonistic lifestyle. By that I mean they say, come on, let's eat and drink, be merry. Make the most of this life. Enjoy it while you can. They recognise where well, well, it ends one day with death, but okay, so make the most of it while you can. Others, entirely apathetic. They're bored with life. They're bitter. The older they get, the more bitter they become. And it often turns to despair. What is there left to live for? What's the point? And some may even take the step of ending their life, committing suicide. That's the part of the price of excluding God. Are you one of those who wants to push God to one side, even push him out of the picture? But there may be others of you here who do not yet believe, but you feel something of a an emptiness the, what, what's the purpose of life it's seemingly pointless uh, something's missing well those may be God's stirrings to make you seek after him to make you perhaps to begin to read the scriptures more carefully or perhaps to read them really properly for the first time God has many different ways of awakening us out of our unbelief and out of our sin and out of our folly. But if you are a Christian, you know that there is a coming day of the Lord, then your life is going to be totally different. You have a reason, you have a motive. Here is a spur to holiness of life, to holy conduct. What does that mean? Being increasingly, your life being increasingly conformed to the will of God. 
You want to please God. You want to serve God. You want to love God. You want to keep his commandments. You want to love the Lord Jesus Christ and serve him. You want to live a life of godliness. It's a slightly different word, but it means much of the same thing. A life of faith, of trust, of confidence in God, together with the fear of God. The fear of God, that reverence for God, the living and true good God. You're looking for, verse 12, and hastening the coming of the day. Now, by holy living, you don't actually speed the coming of the day of the Lord. What, what Peter means is you are longing for that day to arrive. You can't wait for it to happen. I was speaking to an, a friend who's he's at least, no, he's not quite 10 years older than me, just yesterday. And he said, oh, he said, I'm longing for heaven. I'm longing for heaven. It's the next thing that I'm looking forward to. See, Christ will come. And he will come with all his angels. It'll be the day of your salvation. It'll be the day when your redemption is completed. The church will be triumphant. All his enemies will be laid under his feet. It'll be the day when you are freed from sin and from death. Now, if that is your hope and that is your longing, that's what you're waiting for, how could you even think of living any other way of, except by a life of holiness and godliness? You are in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. You've been made alive with Christ. You've been raised with Christ to newness of life. You're being made ready for that day. So you offer up, to use the language of Paul in Romans 6 and 7 and 8, you're offering up the members of your body as instruments to righteousness because you know, one, you know where, what has happened to you. You've become new in Christ and you're waiting for and looking for the day of the Lord. Think it through. Think it through for a moment. Look at it another way. What is it that brings the day of judgment? Why is there going to be a day of judgment? It's because of sin, isn't it? It's because of sin in this world. Well, then how could you think of living a life devoted to sin any longer? It doesn't make any sense, does it? You've been made holy, you're being made ready for, for heaven and for glory. How then can you shrug your shoulders and say, well, it doesn't matter how I live. I can, I can carry on in my sin. It doesn't really make any difference. And perhaps even perversely enough, you say, well, God will forgive me anyway. That's entirely a perverse way of thinking. You've been delivered And now your delight should be to live for God, for Christ, a life devoted to him. And you give that your best effort. You strive by the work of the Holy Spirit in you to live a life of holiness and godliness. You see, you, you could go on further. Let me just pick up something that's said in there in verse 14, though it's outside of the text that we're looking at, but he's driving home the same thing. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, 
Be diligent to be found in, by him in peace, without spot and blameless. Make that your aim. This is your perspective. To be found right with God. To be found as one who's been reconciled. Peace has been made between God and you through Jesus Christ. You are justified now. And you will be made perfect in that day that is to come. The scoffers and the false prophets, well, they're the ones who are full of spots and blemishes. We read of them in chapter 2 and verse 13. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. But no, you are to be spotless and blameless. And you seek to live a life that is spotless and blameless now. And you give, you, you give yourself to it. There is diligence. You're called to be single-minded, to be watchful, to be prayerful, to be fervent, to be patient, to be thankful, to be expectant, serving Christ loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, forgiving one another, not bearing grudges, not being envious, not being bitter, not being argumentative, and dismissing your brothers and sisters in Christ. All these things we can pull in from the rest of the New Testament scriptures in order to explain what it means to live a holy life, a life of godliness. But you see, that's what ought to be. That's what must be. It's necessary. And it's consistent with the fact that we are waiting the day of the Lord. But let's be honest. It's not always like that, is it? It's not always like that. We hate it when it's not like that. We know something is wrong. But there are times when we are hindered. We live, we face Satan. We face our own remaining sin. We face a world that has its attractions. And there are times when we lose our focus. And we lose our longing and we lose our desires. We lose our edge. We become careless. Sometimes even indifferent. You can wake up one morning and say, oh, I don't feel good today. I don't feel in a good mood today. Why should I live a godly life? Why should I devote myself to Christ? I've, I've lost my appetite. But then sometimes we just grow weary of well-doing. We get tired. We get ill. And when you are ill, that affects how you live spiritually. It distorts things. Sometimes we become lonely, and then begin to feel sorry for ourselves, and we wallow in our self-pity. Instead of looking to Christ, we can be drawn back into this world. We can backslide. 
step back. Maybe we think, oh, I'm not particularly happy with so-and-so. You know, they said this, they did that. Oh, I'm not happy with that. And you don't deal with it. And it affects the way you walk with God. It distorts your picture. What should you do? If any of these things or anything else is stopping you living a life of holiness, go back. This is the first and most important thing. The day of the Lord is coming and you then must live in the light of that day and live a life of holiness and of godliness. So what should you do? Well, go back and consider your ways. And if there is sin to be repented of, then repent honestly before God. Confess your failings. Plead again the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from all your sins. Deal with those issues. What would it be like if the, if the day of the Lord came tomorrow? Came tonight? Are there issues in your life? Are there things unresolved in your life? You're not happy with, but you're not doing anything about them, not facing up to them. Would you not be ashamed if Christ came and you gave an account to him? The day of the Lord will come. Um, that puts a kind of holy pressure on us. Peter is spurring us on to live a holy life. But I said there were three things here. And here is the third thing. You have the promise of God as the sure ground on which you tread. Verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise... Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. No matter how much scoffers may treat you and dismiss you and belittle you, whatever they have to say about you, however strange they may regard you, remember what Peter said in his first letter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse uh, 3 and 4. We've spent enough of our time in doing the will of the Gentiles. We walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. And they speak evil of you. Well, when you are faced with the evil and the wickedness of men and their opposition to you, what do you do? You look at the promise of God. You look at the promise of a new heavens and a new earth. We know that this world will pass away. And we know also, we are told here, there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells put it another way that's the home of righteousness it's heaven it's the picture that we have in revelation 21 a passage that we read right at the beginning of today in our worship 
the new heavens and the new earth. And that is according to his promise. We're dealing with God's promises. We've had the assurance that the day of the Lord will come. That has been declared throughout the scriptures. But also the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. That has been promised throughout the scriptures. You can turn, for example, to, uh, to Isaiah and chapter 65 and chapter 66 and you'll find there it is a long standing promise let me read to you isaiah and chapter 65 and verse 17 behold says the lord i create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind be glad rejoice forever in what i create and in chapter 66 and verse 22 for as the new heavens and the new earth which i will make shall remain before me says the lord so shall your descendants and your name re remain that is what we read this morning in revelation it's quoting the isaiah passages behold i make all things new and it is the home of righteousness. Everything that is wicked and unrighteous will be banished. It will have no place. But it is the promise of God. And that's another motivation to drive you, to spur you. You've not just been those, not just those who have died to sin and been raised with him to newness of life. But you have a very specific promise here on the part of God that you will dwell in a world where righteousness reigns, a world where the king of righteousness reigns, Jesus Christ. And Peter is not just saying, well, this is just a fact, just a plain fact. It's more than a plain fact. It's a very specific promise that rests on the faithfulness of God and the omnipotence of God. That's the power of God. He has power to fulfill his promises. And if God does not fulfill his promises, then he is not God at all. He has failed. Here is God's specific promise. A world where there is no sin at all. And that is your incentive. Here is God's plan. Here is God's intention. Here is God's purpose. Here is God's word that is true. It's not like the lies of men that you can't depend upon. This is the truth of Holy Scripture. This is the truth of God himself. Who do you believe? Those who say there won't be a judgment. Or do you believe him who says there will be a day, the day of the Lord, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And you will take your place in the new heavens and the new earth if you are in Christ. Christ was sent into this world to atone for our sins. He shed his blood in order that the wrath of God might not fall upon us. And it is Christ who by his word and spirit makes us a new creation in him. 
Another way of looking at the same thing is found in 1 John, chapter 3. Behold, he says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know, how would he know? It's a promise again, it's God's promise. We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he has that same drive behind him everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness in the light of the fact that the day of the lord will come most certainly and in the light of the promise that God has given us, let alone the work of God in your own heart and life, that he has made you a new creation in Christ. You see, we live in a world where we so easily give way to our doubts, to our fears. We're troubled by what goes on around us. We're troubled sometimes with what people say about the Bible, about Christ, about the Church of Christ. And sometimes there are circumstances in our lives that make us question everything that happens to us. And you sink slowly into a, a sea of despair. None of us are immune to those things. If you're anything like me, you need to be reminded every single day of these things, of the truth of who you are in Christ, the truth of God's word, the coming day of the Lord, the promise of God. It's a constant reminder. Isn't that how Peter began this section? Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour. You know, when we get down in the dumps and we feel low and depressed, it's not new truth we need. It's the old things that we have forgotten. And we need to be constantly, daily reminded of these things. You can go to bed tonight... And you feel a great deal of confidence in God. You've heard the preaching of the word of God. You've heard about the promise. You've heard about the new heavens and the new earth. You've heard, yes, there's a coming day of the Lord. And you say, I believe those things. What happens tomorrow? <laughs> Sometimes you can wake up and think, you never heard any of those things. And you need to remind yourself yet again of those things. You see, God doesn't leave us to despair. God strengthens us. He increases our faith. He increases our trust and our dependence upon him. That is why we feed upon the preaching of the word of God. That's why we come and enter into the prayers, the corporate prayers of the church. And sometimes our brothers lift us up. 
and encourage us and stir us. How many times have you come in the middle of the week to a Wednesday meeting and you feel, oh, I'd rather not go. But you go, and perhaps you go almost in cold blood, but you come away a different person. Why? Because the prayers of the people of God have lifted you up. You've been reminded again of God's grace and God's promises. You can rely, can't you, on God's faithfulness? You can rely upon his power. You can rely on his covenant oaths and promises. They are to be believed. God is to be believed and trusted. And what comfort and joy will then be yours and mine. The more we live on the promises of God the more we live in the light of the coming day of the Lord, the greater will be your joy and your happiness and your assurance of salvation. In the light of what we've said, how could you live any other way than to live a holy life, a godly life, looking unto God, and trusting in him every single moment of every single day. Well, may God strengthen us and enable us so to live to his praise and glory. Amen.